So the Earned Act would say that companies like WhatsApp, I mean, like Facebook or Instagram, I guess that's the same company, Discord, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) What is going on, crypto space, cryptoverse, basic bitches? It is the flagship Friday or cryptocurrency news as we are now rebranding it. And it's Brent Phil, but I'm here with Kareem and Adam, both. Yo, yo, yo. Hello, everybody. And thank you for tuning in to Apocalypse News today. And uh... Apocalypse now. (laughs) We will, of course, continue with our podcast because what else are we going to do? So brave. And uh, (laughs) and also (laughs) so brave. In these, in these, and also times. we're gonna make jokes. Okay, like, crypto basics. Like, we'll be there. I understand that this is a situation where we need to to take to take it seriously, but we are going to make jokes. We're taking the actual quarantine seriously, but there's no reason to not continue you, with though? brevity. So are that's you? what we're gonna do. So. I don't yeah. know. No, Brent, I'm, I'm quarantined. We are yeah. now. I am now. Okay. Look. Full disclosure. Kareem ah. and I both. Did some things that maybe we shouldn't have done. Kareem was at a music festival. I went to New York, the epicenter of the outbreak. Uh, but that that was almost a lifetime ago, yeah. like a week. So listen, okay, so I partied a little bit pre-zombie apocalypse. That was pre-apocalypse, like the night of the apocalypse. I was partying. As long as the people in the movie immediately are like, "Oh snap, apocalypse! Let's take it seriously," and they get out of there. It's okay, and that's the current situation. All right, okay, fine. Meanwhile, right. I'm just sitting in, in my apartment, just being a good old quarantiner and what watching city do you, you live guys in again, have Adam? so much fun. Adam, what city are you Los in? Los Angeles? Uh, oh. Are you guys in uh, like, full, like full 24-7 quarantine? I heard in San Francisco. Uh, no, Oh, but I think all restaurants are like are close. Like you can order delivery or pick up from there, but you can't necessarily eat in restaurants. There's a lot of things like that. I think we're not far away. And I honestly don't think the, the, I actually think the country is not far away from being, if it gets a little bit worse, I think we will be in lockdown. Guys, remember we're recording this on a Thursday. Uh, Usually it gets released on Friday or Saturday. So this is, (laughs) we may be on a lockdown by the time you hear that. Things are moving pretty fast in Coronaverse, but we have a lot more to talk about with Corona towards the end of the show. We are going to spitball a little bit on Corona. There's some related news that we'll discuss. Our primary story today is going to be crypto related. We're still a crypto podcast. We're going to talk about a coin that we've given a lot of praise to, the DAI. There's some serious stuff that went on with MakerDAO and the DAI that's going to take a long time to unpack. So we're going to talk about that. And uh, in the meantime, Adam is going to give us, oh, sorry, I'm supposed to tell you what we released. Uh, we had a 101 last week with, uh, we we had 101 on the Kyber network um, with one of the members of the team. So you can go on there and you can check that out. Adam, give us the rapid. All right, let's get rapid, guys. Let's uh, get so, rapid. Yeah. So. Apparently, it's alt season, according to... You remember that index that we mentioned a few weeks ago? The alt season index? Yeah. Really? Uh, oh, man. What? The image appears to be deleted, 
But uh, yeah, it's it was like saying that it was seventy eight percent altcoin season, and everyone was like, cause it was a Reddit thread that was posted, and everyone was just like, "What? I don't understand." So I just thought it was kind of a funny little tidbit that we mentioned the website and that it actually was like altcoin season. So maybe it's not exactly the best indicator barometer of uh, you know when it's a bull or a bear market, and I can't even find. I don't remember what it was called. I wanted to like pull it up and it's, see what it's it called said. Altcoin uh, index, I think. The problem was I had this. I guess the the image got deleted from where I found it. Kareem, what's the price of Bitcoin? Uh, I think it's like six k right now. Man, you are yep. up to date. Yep. yep Jeez. Yep, yep. I mean, it's not funny anymore when yeah, you actually. Yeah. Check. Well, everything's been crashing. <laughs> I think it's it's not like the daily compulsive <laughs> check. I think. I find I feel like I'm doing more historical work when I open it up. I'm like, "What are the me- oh ah okay yeah <laughs> see I'm living through history." Fair enough. <laughs> yep, yep. It can't be that bad. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's only so much you can do before you check. Like you're you're sitting inside. What are you gonna do? You're gonna be like, you're just gonna go through everything that you go through a normal day, and then you're like, oh, "I'm bored." What's Bitcoin at? Let's see. So also, we are I guess actually technically. Yesterday, I found this article, and it comes out tomorrow, but yesterday, we were 50 days out from the Bitcoin happening. So when it comes out, it will be 48 days. Math. It's, it's, uh, it's a great... 47 and a half, 47, yeah, you know. Somewhere, somewhere around somewhere there. Around there. Um, but yeah, so I thought that was a cool little thing to mention. I think in 2016, when it halved, it went kind of bonkers. That was its peak. 20k was where it reached, right? Yeah, yep. It did at one point get to twenty thousand, twenty thousand, and uh, hey, listen, I wish I had any money or uh, wherewithal to buy the dip, but I'm out. <laughs> like I got nothing left. Yeah. yeah, you know, for what it's worth, this is also it's going to be interesting to see how Bitcoin performs because it's like we've all been waiting for testing grounds, right? Like, is Bitcoin a store of value? Is Bitcoin, you know, is Bitcoin, like a lot of the hypotheses around Bitcoin, I feel like are starting to play out. We're about to get crazy quantitative easing. We're going to get into that later. Interest rates are at all time low. All the central banks in the world are going to go on overload trying to solve this crisis. Fiat, therefore, is going to get printed into oblivion and we're going to go through the halvening. So I think that seeing how Bitcoin performs in this cycle, in these next, let's say, 12 months, 15 months, 18 months, are going to say a lot about like how it really operates, right? Right. You've mentioned before that you wanted to see what's Bitcoin in a crisis. Hey, we're about to see. This is a crisis. Yeah. I wanted to see it in, in a recession. but the, So there's a difference between what's happening here and kind of what I envisioned because there's such a fine point on this. It's so obvious. The whole world is scared. The whole world wasn't scared in 2008. They all thought it was great. You know, like they were all happy to lie on their applications and say that they made $200,000 a year so they could buy a million dollar home when they, you know, worked at a gas station. So, you know, Bitcoin has obviously been worse off than our legacy stocks since the beginning of this crisis. But we'll see how it goes because this isn't going anywhere anytime soon. And we're going to. We'll we'll discuss yeah. that. Then this is a terrible rapid fire. <laughs> we keep like all we want to talk about is Listen, like that it, stuff, and we keep <laughs> sidetracking. Yeah, it's a little tough it's, not to talk about what's happening when it's like yeah. the biggest event of our lifetimes, basically. Yes. Yeah. So moving on, 
Coinbase actually, funny enough, not like we're moving on, but it's not really moving on because <laughs> that's just how it's working right now. So IRS deadline has been extended by 90 days because of the coronavirus to July 15th, FYI. If you're starting Everybody to panic that has about to getting pay. that done. I'm sorry. Uh, you guys right now, everybody that has to pay their taxes in bulk at the end of the year is breathing a sigh of relief right now. Like all the W9s, all the poker players, all the contractors. Yeah. Woo. Woo. Yeah. A couple extra months. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, personally, I think that all these, well, yeah, we'll, we'll just keep moving on. So Coinbase, CLO, we're, we're going to try, we're, you know, we're going to try to talk crypto. We're going to try to talk crypto. Coinbase CLO, the chief legal officer. I didn't know that that was a possible chief. Um, resigns, although it makes sense. Resigns to oversee U.S. national banking system. See, we're gonna we're gonna talk crypto, and then we're just gonna be reported like directly moved back to coronavirus relating stuff. And um, yeah, and then lastly, the WHO, the World Health Organization, are getting they have imposters. <laughs> That are trying to steal your Bitcoin. So please, right now, let's be very careful. Let's not, you know, they're, they're basically, they basically, they sent out fake email claims uh, say, or fake emails saying that the funds will be used to enable all countries to track and detect the disease, send personal protective equipment to blah, 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 blah like stuff like that. So please just be careful no one is going to be hitting you up, PMing you, DMing you, whatever, you know, social media you're on trying to get your crypto from the who. That's not how it works and how, not how they receive funding. So please. Yeah. Or for anyone across the world, the, a lot of governments are going to be giving people money now uh, or doing something similar. And they're never going to ask for your social security number or your identifying number via email or anything like that. So don't. Uh, you know, don't fall for it. Be on the lookout for scams. There are going to be a lot of scammers be scammed. Yeah, and that's uh, wrapping up the rapid fire, which I actually think has been pretty rapid. Now, Brent, you want to tell us about uh, a little bit about wild foods? Okay, I will, in fact, talk about wild foods. Wild foods has actually seen an uptick in sales since this has started, which I think is not normal for most people. But obviously, we're we're selling things online and we're selling products that are correlated with immunity. So people are buying them. We have fish oil, which is one of the best things that you can take for yourself on a daily basis. And we, it, th there's more research coming out about mushrooms, but we specifically have an eight mushroom complex that we released yesterday. So it is like a, it's a pill with eight different kinds of mushrooms. Uh, reishi, chaga, Ooh, lion's, lion's mane. mane. I was going to ask you if you um, had some lion's mane. Yeah, it's uh, those are the main ones that you've heard of before, but it goes it goes on down the line. It's got even uh, it's got shiitakes in Ooh. there. It's got cordyceps. It's, it's eight different kinds in a pill form and they're or in a capsule form, basically. But obviously, it's completely all natural. I don't know a lot of the research behind mushrooms. I know the complex was created for immune health. So do your own research on that, obviously. But that is why we uh, developed it and released it. And of course, it's got all those great things you expect from wild foods, all the uh, no GMOs and all the gluten free and all that, all that stuff. Not that I'm necessarily sold on GMOs being a bad thing, but you can rest assured that we did not genetically have our suppliers create these mushrooms. So um, use Crypto Basics 12 for 12% off your order. And of course, the website is going to be fully uh, free shipping on anything $49 or more. 
which and and we're still everything's shipping fine. Like our our operation is running as of this recording. So check it out. Cool. And Adam, why don't you tell us about a uh, Tezos getting in a card game? Yeah. So the reason why I decided to put this story in this podcast is because it's actually uh, you, you, you've heard, you know, Brian, David Marshall and Z Moshowitz. Maybe not, not everyone. Kareem probably doesn't. But I know that Brent does. Right. Good read. Oh yes, yes. V V was a uh, he was one of the original like OG well known magic players. Yeah, like he he's he's, yeah, he's kind of like a mad scientist of uh, magic almost. And so Brian David Marshall also was like one of the early. Uh, he actually was like one of the early event organizers for Magic. Um, there's this place called Neutral Ground, like in 1995. That like he basically started running tournaments that like couldn't even like the demand for Magic back then was insane. It was like, you know, they didn't have capacity to run like a 400-person tournament or something. And I don't know where. So anyways, these guys are pretty much like kind of legends in the magic circle. And they decided to create their own game, their own digital card, collectible card game. And they happened to kind of like go to, I guess, Catherine Brightheart or Brightman. I forget her last name. But basically, it's the CEO of Tezos. And she started this company called Coz. And she is teamed up with Zvi and BDM. And it's actually aimed at making, we work on better ways to transact with new digital economies. So a digital economy, a new digital economy would be a collectible card game. And there isn't much information about the actual card game. It's not even out yet. The alpha is going to be released in... Like, like April, early April, but they're trying to take a different approach to like the economy within the collectible card game. It's basically like they want to let people buy the cards they want. And there's some interesting things where like, if you buy a card, the price of it goes up immediately. And, you know, so, and also the, the cards will have memory. So it'll like, if you purchase this card, It'll say like, oh, this card was used in this deck and it made like, you know, like X, it had an X amount of wins and stuff. So I just thought it was pretty cool to see that the game, by the way, is called Emergent Emergence. And I just thought it was cool to see people that I actually know doing, you know, cool stuff in the blockchain space. I'm always interested to see these new games. You know, a lot of the ones that are coming out are basically just Hearthstone clones. So it would be cool to see a new take on a new game rather than just Hearthstone with a couple of tweaked rules here and there. I'd be interested yeah, to see that. It's dubbed the Hearthstone competitor like every other digital card game. Yeah, if it's just Artifact or if it's just Gods Unchained and it's just a Hearthstone with extra steps, then I'm not interested. But if it actually creates something unique, then that's cool because Hearthstone, though it has the remnants of Magic the Gathering, is an entirely unique game. And it's not even so, close. Yeah. So they there's overlap, but they're yeah, different. I've still yet to see the real like um I'm looking forward to one of these games is eventually gonna have like real, like you said, kind of an economy, but that's separate. And it'd be cool like if eventually you could have uh you know, you need created items where like the manufacturer isn't controlling really the prices and the rarity and the you know eventually because you just need good rules to make games balanced and and then an interesting economic system that 
I, I think that they really wanted to kind of have a hands off approach with the economy. They wanted to make it completely within, you know, the user and, um, you know, just they, they kind of wanted that to be, you know, decentralized to an extent where it's just like, this is what is happening with, you know, the, we make the cards and that's it. So they're also using this thing called bonding curves, which maybe you guys have heard of that. Um, but it's, they say it's much like Ethereum's token swapping platform, Uniswap. So uh, they're going to distribute the cards that way and the cards will have a fixed supply and the prices will swing with demand determined by an algorithm. New cards will come out and be sold on the site at a low price. So, yeah, so I, I think it's pretty cool. Uh, interesting how they're going at it. I feel like Kyber works with Uniswap also from that Kyber 101 episode. So that was I was learning a little bit about that when I was talking with. Uh, and do you want to explain what Uniswap is for me and other listeners who may not uh, know exactly? It's a decentralized exchange basically uh if you want to learn more kind of about that 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 episode does a good job of kind of explaining but yeah it's a decentralized uh way of exchanging value out there on the ethereum network so it's pretty cool cool so yeah i mean it'll also be able to trade the cards which you can't really do in hearthstone i'm pretty sure and you can also sell back the cards which you can do in hearthstone but you can't do in magic like you at a like a lower rate like if you have too many you can just sell it back It'll be interesting. Magic's really been uh, losing my interest lately. They have completely ruined the game with all the cards that they release constantly. I don't even know what's oh, being released. Too much? They used to release like three, four sets a year, and now they're doing like 12. It's and, and like some of them are legal, some aren't. Some can do this, some can do that. Some are like super expensive, rare sets. Some are not. Some are fun, some are not. It's just like they're all over the place. Just and, use Magic uh, Online or Magic uh, Arena. Magic Online is great right now because like you can play in PTQs or something if you really want. And it's also kind of like easy to just get your money back. Uh, Magic Arena, less so. Cause I don't know if anybody's actually a Magic player yeah. that listens to the show. Well, but yeah, it's just, just a little rant on how we got Magic two, ruining We got it. two Magic anyway. players <laughs> of like 20 years plus just like kind of, yeah. We're clearly bored. Kareem has played Magic That's before. Fair. That's a few right. times, yeah. And and by the way, just a note: it is Kathleen Brightman, not Catherine. Just want to clarify the, the CEO of Tezos. I know screwing Sorry, up Kat. names. That's just a part of what we how what happens, right, Brent? On crypto basic. Yep. I, all we're thinking the only name we're not getting wrong is Vitalik. So Vitalik. Let's, let's talk about him. Vitalik Brethren. All right. So today. We have our top story tonight. Today, John Oliver style, Ooh. I guess. I don't know. We're going to talk more after this, but I thought this was the more interesting long dive here. Millions of dollars have been usurped from the MakerDAO, the coin slash ecosystem that we here at the Crypto Basic Podcast have touted as a much better solution to tether <laughs> had a much bigger problem than Tether well before Tether did. Uh -oh. So, uh-oh. Yeah, kind of interesting. So, I use the word usurped for a reason. Uh, there, there was, was a usurping. It just was. Uh, there was millions of dollars taken from the smart contract, but it wasn't stolen in the sense that, like, nothing nefarious happened. What happened here was all programmed within the code. The code functioned properly. The die the the stablecoin on the the maker platform did not lose its value so the the die stayed at or above $1 because most of the stablecoins have been trading 
slightly above a dollar in the bear market, right? So here's kind of how it happened, but I have to I want to do a quick recap of how the maker DAO works and creates the die. Uh, and I'm going to do it really quick. We did do a one-on-one on this. So if you want to go back and listen to that and get more of an explanation on this, then you can do that. But basically, you take some amount of Ethereum, let's call it one, and you lock it up into the smart contract. And it gives you an amount of die equal to a percentage of that Ethereum that you've locked up. Now, you can lock up more and withdraw less. So let's say I lock up $1,000 worth of Ethereum. I can take $500 worth of die out against my Ethereum. But if that Ethereum's value drops to a certain level, the smart contract will automatically sell my Ethereum to the people that are trying to buy Ethereum inside of the smart contract ecosystem. They are called the, um, uh, what do they call them? Brent, the, the do you keepers. know how... Right? Do you know so, how the uh, algorithm determines what the current price of the currency is? Is that is it like linked to specific? Well, uh, it doesn't use an oracle, so that's the that's the thing here. Uh, it's about the bids and asks from the keepers. Now the keepers know what the price is, so they're going to bid and ask. And I, it, it, you know, what there may be an oracle that triggers the liquidation number. I don't know. The I don't keepers know the are human players who are but, just keeping track of the market, basically. Yeah, or bots or whatever. They're, they're the people who are interested in buying the Ethereum when people are liquidating their contracts because they basically get a discount because there's a liquidation penalty that they also get uh, a piece of. So you can take out a loan, basically, against your Ethereum. But if your Ethereum's price drops too much and you don't have that US dollar value to cover it, then your Ethereum is liquidated. And there's different thresholds. I believe it was at 150%. So if you had $500 worth of die out and you had locked up $1,000 worth of Ethereum at the time, and if that Ethereum then fell below $750 in value, you would now be forced to liquidate some of that Ethereum against your will and you would incur a 13% penalty on top of it for hitting that. So... As the Ethereum price drops, in theory, you're supposed to lock up more Ethereum to protect your investment so you don't get hit with that 13%. And what this does is it gives you a way to, one, generate a stable coin, but two, it gives you a way to continue to be exposed to the Ethereum price while still using US dollars for whatever reason you might need to use for. So it creates a stable coin that we don't have to worry about whether it's collateralized because it's all sitting there on the smart contract. So that's how it works, and that's how it's supposed to work, and it's supposed to basically keep these this Ethereum locked up and keep the value of the die stable. It did keep the value of the die stable, but here's what happened. We were having a massive crash and the people who were in there to buy the stuff who wanted to buy off the liquidations got wiped out. They didn't have any more liquidity. For three and a half hours, there was only one entity that wanted to buy any of the Ethereum Whoa. that was inside the contract. And now there were other other people may have wanted to, but the Ethereum network was also clogged up, so they couldn't get more liquidity into their smart contract situation in time to buy the Ethereum that was being liquidated from these contracts as Ethereum fell. So this entity, this bot or this person or whatever, was able to bid $0 on the Ethereum and get $4 million worth of Ethereum out of the contract as it was being liquidated without putting a single die into the contract because there was no one to bid against them. 
So they, yeah, so they were able to get a monopoly and get it all out of there. So that's why I'm saying this is kind of being purported as a theft. This was, this was not a theft. This was a failing in the it's way they designed yeah. the smart contract. They didn't think about there only being one person who was interested in buying Ethereum because obviously that wasn't the case, but nobody could get the funds there quick enough because the Ethereum network got bogged down. And I'm guessing if somebody knew that this was going to happen, because I'm sure this person had multiple addresses or something, uh, then they would have, you know, put up maximum amount of gas to get to the top of that list to stop it from happening. But nobody saw it happening. So yeah, because everyone um, everyone was so freaking what, out, so no one was looking at Maker. That is pretty incredible. Yeah. So each person. So what happened is people started to log in to go and try and liquidate their Ethereum or put more into the contract, knowing that if they didn't put more in, that they were going to get liquidated, and it was all gone. And on top of that, they ended up with a fifty percent liquidation penalty because that penalty also is fluid. It's supposed to stay at around thirteen percent, but apparently. If so much is being liquidated, that percentage jumps up so that the smart contract can maintain the value of the die because that's its primary goal. The rest of this is there to maintain the value of the die. But in theory, the smart contract doesn't give a shit that $4 million was stolen or usurped or whatever word. Its only function is to maintain the value of the die, which it did. So Maker has obviously they have teams behind this. They're trying to respond. They're solution here was that they're basically just going to try to create a new fund that would basically work to bid against anybody as a last resort. So they created like this maker bid that if in the end there was nobody else to bid except one entity or whatever, this thing would step in and wow. make a bid for the Ethereum. Uh, so they created that fund and they also now have programmed Coinbase's USDC as an emergency collateral as well. So you can swap DAI for USDC. So in the in this instance where you have a lot of people that are like making markets, they have a lot of money. They have a lot of money in DAI. They have a lot of money in Tether. They have a lot of money in, in theory, Coinbase's USDC as well. So if they had been able to use that to bid on Ethereum, then the, the market issue or, or the network wouldn't, being slow wouldn't have been an issue. They would have been able to just bid. So in an emergency situation now, there is an amount of USDC that can be used to bid on the Ethereum. Obviously, people are crying centralization in that sense, but that's not really accurate because the the DAI isn't maker DAO isn't running off of that. It just uses it. So it's in one of the other so, collaterals. Uh, there was also word of they were trying to maybe dilute the shares of maker itself so that they could make some of these people whole that had their contracts liquidated from them. But I don't think that went anywhere. I think everybody's just kind of, you know, it, as, as happens in this space, when this big thing, these big things happen, you're kind of on your own. And cause that's kind of, it's kind of the way things work with decentralization and being your own bank and doing these kinds of things. So you're saying so. that now if this happens again, they'll use the USDC to kind of like, uh, be a, uh, a net for it or just just an emergency again yeah their theory was that usdc was close enough to a dollar that in an emergency situation they didn't mind taking it to solve the liquidity issues i guess so it would have taken somebody time to generate more die or get it off of an exchange and get it into their account so that they could bid and get ethereum but if 
if they had USDC sitting around, it would have been easier. So they're just making it a little bit easier to put a bid in there in in a case where they don't hit the last resort. So this is just one of those things that if you would ask me, hey, if you're creating this thing that runs off Ethereum, do you think that it would ever be that only one person in the entire world is trying to buy Ethereum? I would be like, no, that's stupid. So, you know, it, it would... Uh, I understand why they didn't think of this contingency and why this wasn't a thought, but in a good sense, there was a stress test on the network and the die itself held its value correctly. So this is kind of the worst case scenario. So we know the die works. We also know there's some yeah. risk in locking up your Ethereum in that maker DAO. Dude, and it is also worth noting, you know, like this is, this is the only, the reason why it's worthwhile to do a lot of, game theory research for some of these companies um, because they're all based on like assets that are worth money and there's always going to be extreme situations, right? So like this is why we have test nets. We have like, you have to think of extreme environments. Like I understand how this is somehow in, in some ways unpredictable, but I also believe that if you're creating the infrastructure or the architecture where you're going to have millions and millions and millions of you know, kind of uncontrollable dollars out there built by algorithms, you do have a responsibility to think about how those things can fail, right? You're not allowed to make a plane and not think about what happens when an engine fails. So like this is an engine yeah. failing, you know, because they didn't think about, okay, what would happen in these scenarios? You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. I agree. And this is, so I guess to clarify, this isn't, this isn't something that no one at Maker really did anything that was just like in yeah like they they didn't screw they might have screwed up or maybe they couldn't predict this which is bad in itself but it wasn't anything that Maker did that was shady or anything it just was like kind of like a circumstance kind of like when do you remember when there was that flash crash a couple of years ago maybe like I think it was probably mid 2017 like I guess it, yeah 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 where a really low buy order happened to be filled because yeah of, and then yeah. everyone just like lost their money I think was it on Coinbase and then they actually repaid them um Coinbase ended up reimbursing them uh everyone who got completely annihilated by this random flash crash one of the benefits of a centralized position yeah. I don't remember if they were reimbursed or not I don't remember that but if you have a centralized position then you can be reimbursed. So you're giving up some of that sovereignty for a little bit of that uh, yeah. security. And <laughs> as is always I the trade-off in, yeah. in countries and in... Well, I was just going to say that I think this is just really... like Obviously, it's very unfortunate to if this happened to anyone, you know, any of our listeners or just... you know, It's just unfortunate that it happened to anyone. However, I think this is really kind of like... It's just from a you know hands-off perspective... It's interesting that these things kind of pop up periodically and no one can ever really predict what these things are that like, you know, like, like I just said, the, the make the flash crash or this, you know, like there's going to be more of these things happening in the future as we kind of progress in the crypto world that will be kind of just, we won't be able to predict. And I'm just very curious, kind of like, you know, something crazy might happen even farther along when we're way, 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 way deeper and could just randomly annihilate a lot of people's money. Well, that's why we need to build robust systems yes. and networks. That's why the network yeah. is the value of yes. these things. Like the, if there were more active users on the the maker DAO, this wouldn't have happened. Well, I actually am and, not sold on that, but 
if more time had been spent thinking about all of the possible ways in which the contract could break or network could break, look, this is stuff that we have to think about, right? Like, uh, yep. like, uh, the real world has had to deal with this as well. Let's say, for example, the stock. Okay, let's say the stock market. We've all learned recently that we've implemented stop losses over time because things could get so bad so quick. I mean, imagine like waking up and everything's down eighty percent, ninety percent, right? So, hold like, on, Kareem. Sorry to 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 your point. They literally have circuit breakers that trigger after fifteen yeah. minutes, which is, has happened twice in the past week. I think. Correct. So, to your point. Right. So that's what I'm saying. Like these, we know that these systems have extreme scenarios in which they can, uh, you know, be stressed to the maximum. And I do believe, again, I'm not saying that they did necessarily a poor job because I don't have the technical knowledge, but the people who are creating the systems have a responsibility. (laughs) I'm going to do the plug here. Again, I don't own that much. So it's not like a real plug, but this is what I love about what Cardano is doing, even if it's taking them forever. They're putting tons of time and effort into game theory, simulations, trying to understand how could the system break? What are the most extreme scenarios? What happens if we only had one of these? What's the optimal number for decentralization? Like all these kinds of things. And people are often critical, but we have to start thinking. If you're building financial infrastructure, we have to start thinking about it the same way that if you were building a rocket to go to Mars, NASA spends millions of dollars making sure that they figure out how could this go wrong? What happens if we don't have enough of uh, oxygen? Or what if this breaks? What if this side breaks? What if the astronauts, whatever, what if they get diarrhea? Like they have to think about everything. Otherwise, uh, a mission that took them 20 years to send out can get wasted because somebody didn't do the math or didn't do the extra, you know what I'm saying? Like the extra work. So if this is really going to be financial infrastructure for the world that's decentralized, that has no police officer, you better make sure you build something resilient you know yeah so also an interesting fact about mars missions uh apparently the curiosity uh rover smacked itself with a shovel to fix yeah. itself uh <laughs> earlier this week which is pretty That's awesome. hilarious <laughs> amazing anyway sorry no i mean um, i think kareem you just made a, a great point and i and uh but my i guess my what i'm saying is that we you can only predict so much or test out so much because like, I mean, maybe this is why you should just have uh, AI trying to figure out all these po- the possibilities right. of anything. And, and like you said, game theory, because yeah, this is never going to happen. No one's ever going to do it, but we have to think of all the possibilities. That's the whole point, you right. know, of, of game theory and, you know, trying to figure out like, Oh, how to game the system. And so, this is something that we appreciate as poker players, but I think the general population often doesn't understand Half a percent probability doesn't mean it never happens. Half a percent means it definitely happens like half a percent of the time. And that's going to come up eventually. Trust me, half a percent eventually comes. It's just the way we're living half a percent right now with with, um, (laughs) no the whole, you know, economy. Like this is not something that we kind of like we were talking about. I mean, Kareem, you've mentioned multiple times on the podcast how you think that we're 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 looking for a downturn, but you had never expected that it was going to be a bio, you know, like some sort of virus that would trigger this and in the way that it did. You know, so you say that. But we already had a lot of band-aids in place. That's why this is going to be worse right. than it seems. Wait, like everybody the, was waiting for <laughs> some, is, for something to bring it down because the architect, the infrastructure of the system is so weak that it was like a house of cards. But what we didn't expect was that the reality of no economic activity was going to be forced upon us, right? Like it was going to be bad enough already, but now it's like 
plus every business is closed for like, you know, I don't know, a few months. <laughs> like that's yeah, like we're stagnated crazy. and this yeah. is, it's nuts. And it's not just like the U S it's, it's, no, it's, yeah, it's global. It's, it's global. becoming global. Like, so this is a good segue into our coronavirus section, I think. But before we do, I wanted to mention one thing about ADA and Charles. He posted a video that said a farewell and I looked at the comments of the video on Twitter and it was like, thank you for all your work on ADA on Cardano. And, and I'm like, oh, God, like I thought he left, but it was a farewell to his grandmother who passed <laughs> away. And it was a great video. And they were just thanking him for his work because he's like, I was gone while she passed away and it felt, you know, it sucked. And and I was like, I was like relieved. And then I felt bad for the guy because like he right, lost right, his right. grandparents. But I was like, yeah. or his grandma, but I can I see like, how that's the impression. Of his grandfather. <laughs> like. Farewell. Yeah. Oh, thank you for All your right. work. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so continue. So yeah, continuing on with with coronavirus and the economy, we're all in like this holding pattern where we don't know what's going on. It's everyone's Facebook feed, you know, except Kareem because he quit Facebook, <laughs> is uh, completely inundated with this. It's uh, I don't know what it's like in other countries, but but here in the U.S., it's kind of like I don't know because of the stance that the president took originally with the hoax thing. We have a lot of people who were just like, this is no big deal. It's super just a flu political con- kind of like thing. A ton of conservatives crazy. that I knew for a while thought that it was like overblown. I'm like, how did that virus get political, man? And, and then I remember they don't believe in global yeah. warming. And I'm like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I, everything can be political. Yep. Uh, it, it did manage to get political. A couple of the latest press conferences here in the U.S. make me think that the president might do the right thing. Um, you know, we don't have anything in set in stone yet. Nobody signed anything. We're all kind of in limbo. People are losing their jobs left and right. People can't go to work. It's very, it's very difficult. And what we are not exactly the the authority here on on things to do. But what what I am the authority on is Monopoly. So because people have been playing a lot of board games at home, I'm I'm going to talk about this and we'll get into more of the serious stuff. Our cryptocurrency had posted this uh, screenshot of the Monopoly rules, which is what if the bank <laughs> runs out of money, and the the response to this in the monopoly rules and this is a troll because like if you play monopoly right it's not possible but uh some players think that the bank is bankrupt if it runs out of money the bank never goes bankrupt to continue playing you slip some paper to keep track of each player's banking transactions until the bank has enough paper money to operate again the banker may also issue new money on slips of ordinary paper (laughs) (laughs) so i you know it who knows how this is going to play out each country has kind of taken their own different approach to this thing we've got everything from herd immunity in uh in one of the uh scandinavian countries they're just like go get it uh that's kind of like their thing they're hoping enough people get it so that everybody doesn't have to get it anymore to south korea testing every human being on the planet to full draconian lockdown tearing up roads with excavators and locking people in their homes which is what they did in china so there's a lot of different ways that this happens but the the economic response from each individual country country is going to definitely be interesting However, since we're looking at the rules of Monopoly, and some of you may end up playing Monopoly at home, I would like to just be on a soapbox here for a second. You are playing Monopoly wrong, and you're an idiot. So, for some reason, I don't know, nobody just reads the rules of Monopoly. Nobody plays the game right. They all, like, put all this extra money in the middle. They think that, like, when you land on, like, luxury tax, it goes in the middle, when you pay uh, random things to chance community chest, it goes in the middle. And then if you hit free parking, you get that money. Uh, they also think that you don't have to auction off properties when you land on them. It's ridiculous. A game, everybody talks about how long Monopoly takes. A game of Monopoly should take 45 minutes. 
That's it. How do I know this? Because I've played more Monopoly than probably the rest of the people I know combined. Because in college, for whatever reason, we started playing $20 buy-in <laughs> Monopoly tournaments with four of us. Uh, you've probably played some of these with me, right? Adam? I don't. I don't think I. Ever, I, don't, I don't remember. I never, if that was I, like, no, I think you were. This is you're talking about in Gainesville. Then I was not there when you were yeah. there. Kind of. I don't think we played. It, I know I played with John yeah. Roy. So it, it, there would be like a group. It was like me, Chris Finnell, uh, John Roy. These guys. We would get together. We play twenty dollar buy in tournaments. We play the game. Would take forty five minutes, start to finish. There's a lot of strategy. I'm going to give you all the strategy you need to win. Brent, do you, right what, what's, what's your new nickname? Strategy. Do you want it to be Monopoly Purist or Monopoly Elitist? Because I feel like Brent Philbin, Monopoly Elitist. Elitist because I'm going to give all you right. even some, some suggestions on how to make the game better. So if you're playing by the actual rules, number one, make sure you auction off all the properties if somebody declines to buy them. That's, the, that's how the game progresses. So you should... The orange properties are the most landed on properties in the game because... <laughs> You go to jail for a lot of different reasons, and going out of jail, if you roll a hard six or hard eight, you land on the uh, the properties of orange. You can only you have to roll Is that Illinois, a, a pair, Illinois, so roll, and uh, Tennessee, and okay. those ones. So you, uh, uh, you you can only roll you know hard two, hard four, hard six, hard eight, hard ten, hard twelve. So two out of the five combinations that get you out of jail land you on those properties so those are the most valuable the second property in the list is more valuable and your strategy should be to get three houses on your properties as fast as possible because that's where the rent goes up the highest portion and uh you also once you get three houses on there you stop other people from building houses because once the houses are gone nobody can build a house so they have to go right to hotels which is really difficult on the ones that cost more money Boardwalk is pretty much useless. The green properties are pretty much useless. I don't really care about those so much. In fact, I always auction them off, and they go for less than face value if you're, uh, if you're playing the game correctly. So, yep, that is my Monopoly rant in a nutshell. If you want the game to be more interesting, start with half the money you're supposed to start with at $750. you will end up auctioning off basically every property. Um, some of them you will buy at face value, but you'll see an interesting shift on which ones are worth more money and which ones are worth less. And... Uh, if you there, another way we used to do it was we used to double the money, but you were every property that was landed on must be auctioned off. If uh, you are so, one of our Patreon anyway. members, you'll get Brent's seventeen-hour rant on risk strategies for the game of Risk, titled "New Zealand, the Pacific, and How to Sneak into North America." <laughs> anyway, love- let's get back. <laughs> risk is great. I love Risk, by the way. And we're playing risk, right? We might be playing risk right now in a few years with all these, uh, you know, I don't know, whatever. We'll we'll see how the 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 chips fall, how the dice gets rolled. <laughs> yeah. So I had an interesting theory that I want to talk to you guys about because I've, I've everybody's called me an idiot for this, and but the people who are calling me an idiot, I don't know, they don't really they didn't really think about it. In my head, we're coming up with an economic solution to solving the fact that we're literally locking down the country for two months, right? It looks like the U S is going to give people money. We're not actually sure on that, They will, but they will. my solution was, I thought elegant. It was suspend all obligation for every individual, every business, everything. If you owe rent, you don't owe it anymore for 60 days. So if you're a person, you don't owe rent. If you're a business, you don't owe rent. If you're a landlord, you don't know property taxes or anything. Your mortgage, nothing. Nobody. Anything that is a timed contract. So if it's a mortgage or if it's a rental agreement, you extend the end date by 90 days. 
So you get 60 days reprieve. You extend the end date by 90 days so that in theory, those people who are like landlords and such get a little bit of a benefit from it because they will get a little bit tacked on on the tail end. And nobody has to worry about anything except for eating. Now, you you would have to come up with some other solution for eating, whether it be gives people a small amount of money or give them uh, access to free food or something like that. But I couldn't come up with any reason that wouldn't work. Why were people hating it as on you? a solution? I, thought, I feel like that's a pretty reasonable. They, they thought I was insane. Who's where is this on Facebook or is this like Reddit? No, no, no I, I don't. Let me let me tell you what happens on my Facebook. There is a guy. I don't even know who this dude is. He, I, I don't. He maybe he's a listener. I don't. I don't know how I became friends with this guy. Uh, he responded to one of my posts by saying that, and it wasn't even a post about money, but he responded by saying that. His 14-year-old son said that this is bullshit, that they're giving money to people, and if he gets a $2,000 check from the government, he's going to rip it up because he doesn't need no handouts. <laughs> so normally you would think you'd argue with a person right like that, right? No. My new goal is to get this guy to burn his $2,000 check or whatever it ends <laughs> up being on video, and I will share it with everybody when he burns it. I This is just like... There's no talking. There's no talking some sense to this guy. There's no logic here. He's past that. It doesn't matter. He's a true believer in whatever religion he's believing in. So I am. I have cautioned all of my Facebook friends not to be mean to him, and I told him that I would. Uh, I would give him five bucks if he did it. So we'll see. I'm, By I'm the way, to, to you, what you were saying is that you know that guy Bill Ackman. I put him in in this little in the outline, but he went on CNBC yesterday and basically was like, shut the damn government down. He basically was like, please, Trump. He said hell is, I think, upon us or hell is like, you know, like just like, please close the borders, shut the government down. Like we need 30 days to completely, you know, he tweeted it out as well. Like. He said, it, "Give an extended spring break at home with family. Keep essential only essential services open." And you know, I mean, the t- it's not exactly what you were saying, but it's kind of essentially like the problem with the shutdown is right now everybody has to yeah, pay but all their obligations. You do know that so, um, yeah. they've already said stuff like that. Like I think at least in California, they've definitely been like, "Oh, you don't have to pay until the end of April." I think. Yeah. So it's been. Yeah, yeah, there's each been state a lot is of doing statewide stuff. I'll tell you what, guys, this this goes as part of this section. So why don't we talk about what the Federal Reserve has done in response to this crisis? And then we'll see right. what the um, – so we're looking at two things here, right? Monetary policy and fiscal policy. Monetary policy is going to be how the Federal Reserve is handling this, things like cutting interest rates. And then we're going to have some fiscal policy, which is the money that the government actually spends. And that's what you guys are talking about just now. For example, giving Americans money. But anyway, this was in an emergency move on Sunday. uh, The Fed essentially dropped interest rates to zero and announced a new round of quantitative easing. Now, for the record, and this is important to note because this will eventually all get blamed on the coronavirus. And there's no question the coronavirus is a huge deal. But they had started essentially quantitative easing. We talked about this a few a few weeks yep, back, a few yep. months back, and they just didn't want to call it quantitative easing because that would freak out the economy. Okay, now that we have an actual pandemic and everybody's freaking out, they could just come out and be like, "Yeah, we're about to inject a ton of money into the economy." 
right, in order to to save it. So they slash interest rates. They also slash the emergency lending at the discount window for banks. So that's stuff that we were talking about, those overnight loans and stuff like that. They cut it 125 basis points, so it's down to 0.25%. And they lengthened the term of the loans for 90 days to give banks more time, more liquidity. Uh, There's going to be cash runs, things like that. Sorry, sometimes I get a little lost with because I'm actually learning on the fly now. I've been reading more about this. I know a quantitative easing is now, but what are when you say 125 basis points? Can you please explain exactly? I'm pretty sure that 125 basis points refers to 1.25 percent, and they just 0.01 is a basis point. So when you hear about a a 50 basis point cut, that means that they lowered the interest rate for by 0.5 percent. So here okay. it's basically saying that the Federal Reserve has told banks both we're going to loan you short-term money at a lower rate, at about 1.25 lower, close to zero at this point. And we're also going to give you more time to pay that money back. And so now we're looking at 90 days. So they also, this is a big one for all you crypto people, the Fed has lowered the reserve requirements for the banks to zero. Essentially, there are no reserve requirements. Again, this is because there's they believe that there's going to be a liquidity, They're right? And there might be a liquidity crisis, all this stuff. Here's the thing, though, and this is being talked about online. This is not the kind of crisis that is going to be solved through just monetary policy. I'm not saying that the Fed shouldn't be cutting rates or anything like that. I, I, it's kind of tough. But the bottom line is having lower interest rates here is not really going to stimulate the economy because, okay, now that interest rates are at zero, are you guys going to run out and get a new car loan or refinance your house? No, the economy shut down. People literally can't go to work. People literally aren't going out to spend any money and lower interest rates aren't going to fix that. Um, and that's why you're seeing the other side of this, which is going to have to be fiscal policy. And those are the things that you're talking about, Brent, where we're talking about saying, hey, what are we going to do? With the no economic activity, we have to do something for small businesses. We have to do something for people who can't pay their mortgages, can't pay their rent because they're getting cut off from work. Uh, There was a post, the recent poll found that 18% of Americans have either lost their job or lost hours, which of course makes perfect sense. Think about how many things are closed. Right. So this part's also important to remember, guys. I heard a Joe Rogan interview that was pretty good with the somebody from not the CDC but one of these disease control centers. Pretty educated. Yeah, guy. he he was yeah yeah, yeah. He, it was on last week. He was he was a uh, uh, infectious yes, disease. The, that's specialist. exactly who I'm talking about. And one of the things that he mentions on there that is very important is this feels like uh, a windstorm is coming, or like here in Florida, it feels like a hurricane, right? Everybody runs to the grocery store and stocks up, and everybody's home for a couple of days. But it's not a hurricane. This is not going to be three or four or five days. It's not going to be a week. Things are going to get progressively worse over the next couple of weeks. So we're in this for multiple months. So there's definitely going to have to be some emergency relief. And I feel like the biggest irony, guys, to make this a little political, how absolutely insane is it that literally as the primaries kind of wrap up, Bernie Sanders is out, Andrew Yang is out, we're now essentially going to talk about universal health care for everyone, expanding Medicaid probably in order to deal with Corona and basic income for everybody. It's crazy. Yeah. Andrew, Na- Andrew Yang's name has been everywhere. That's hilarious. Because of this. Um, Mitt, Mitt Romney specifically name dropped him. Like, 
all this stuff. So this reminds uh, me of a quote it, that is so true. But um, I want to say that there are years like where there are days or years where nothing happens, and then days where decades happen. And and that's how history is, you know. Sometimes, like, feel I I genuinely felt that something like that just felt so far away. And who knows what? Ha- like, if if we have to give people money for six months, I'm just saying, if that happens, and every American has an influx of cash, and w- how that's going to help communities that are in poverty? This is what, like what the left has been dreaming of, right? And we're just going to implement that for let's say half a year. What kind of, <laughs> a, what kind of an effect? will that have on the political consciousness of everybody that's living through this moment? I'm serious. This is like a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. I keep thinking over and over again about the implications of what's going to happen here. Again, we don't know if they're just going to be giving money to people. They say that, but you know, it will Brent. I I almost guarantee you. Oh yeah. The economy is about to crash. Also, because I actually saw, um, I think it was uh, Galen Hall, who's just like a poker player, who's like kind of also just like some super genius. He does a lot of other stuff. And he was saying that it'll actually help the economy because it'll fuel people to keep like kind of spending money on things or or purchasing something or whatever it is instead of like, uh, and it'll help like maybe some of the businesses that are now, you know, small businesses or something like it'll actually I can tell you from a small business perspective, there there's a legitimate shot that Escape Key, uh, the escape room that I opened, will be bankrupt at the end of this, depending on what the what the bailout slash aid or what our options are. We've never had a negative month on record, so we've always taken disbursements out of it. It's not a company that I make a lot of money with, but between rent and doing the right thing with employees, we can operate for maybe two months. Uh, before we're yeah. done. Oh, and and also, Kareem, one last thing. When you said that analogy or that quote, it literally is the poker quote, where it's just like a lot of boredom, and then a few moments <laughs> where it's incredibly exciting. Yeah, like, incredible like terror. a lot of sitting around, and then like incredible moments terror. terror. For, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. No, it, it, it's uh, it's extreme situations. And look, here's the reason. I really feel confident that the sh- the checks are coming because unlike 2008, like, okay, in 2008, we had the mortgage crisis. It was a credit crisis. So all of the mortgages, all of this paper wealth, all of these mortgage-backed securities, this is the stuff of the investment world, the retirement world. But like the demand of day-to-day life was still there. People weren't like not allowed to leave their house businesses, you know what I'm saying? When is the next time that Brent's going to get a customer at Escape Key, right? Seriously, it's when, right? So the economic vacuum that this is going to create is way worse than 2008. The credit crisis and all of the investment crisis and all of the artificial price inflation, that's all on top of just the real actual lack of economic activity that we're about to experience. And the wave of all of the economic activity around the world where cities are shutting down everywhere, Europe, Asia, and the Americas. And businesses have like an ethical obligation or like a moral obligation to really not like to kind of close if, I mean, if you care, you know, like obviously you're a business, so you really should be operating in the business's interest, but this is kind of beyond business right now where it's like you maybe should be closing as escape key because you don't want to risk a your, your workers getting infected or b like uh I saw um there was a uh, film that that had that like someone got infected on the set so they immediately had to stop 
working, you know, like, like stuff like that, where it's just like, you have almost like a moral obligation for your own, you know, employees and customers. Yeah, this is all super scary. Escape key is currently operating, um, but we've got no bookings. So I'm mostly operating because I would like the employees to continue to get paid and they can be there. If it happens, we, uh, we put measures into place that social distancing is totally possible in an escape room. Uh, we didn't. We don't let anybody do the mixed True. bookings anymore. Like where you could book with a group of four, and then another group of four that you don't know shows up. Uh, it, it's your four people in your family that go into that room, and then we have plenty of supplies. We're requiring everybody to wear gloves when they go in, and sanitizing every piece that they touch when they leave because we know exactly what was touched because it's moved. Uh, but you know, same thing. We um we haven't had a single booking, so uh, we might as well be closed. Yeah. And uh, do you guys um, want to talk in, about uh, Corona anymore? Or do you feel like you got, uh, you know, we got it all out? I feel like we did a good job. Um, I will say this, you know, the the sky is falling, especially for people who are in like the service industry, the the people who are are poker dealers. People that we are close with a lot of people who are poker dealers, and I've seen them fighting tooth and nail for their poker rooms not to be closed. But Vegas is shut down, y'all. Like I don't know if everyone in the world has been paying attention, but. The casinos in Vegas are closed. That has never happened. Um, you know, that, if casinos are closed, so, your business better be freaking closed. I mean, that is nuts. Because, I mean, yeah, dude, think about it. Like a total thought experiment before this whole thing went down. If I had said to you, "Hey, do you think that there would be like a measurable economic impact from the NBA just going bankrupt tomorrow?" Because all of the, you know, all of the economic activity that goes around the league too, right? Stadium, sellers, this and that. You'd be like, oh, yeah, that'd probably be pretty decent. You could probably measure that, right? Now, imagine every major league and every concert and every music event and every festival, every sporting event, like just all of it. Shut it all down. <laughs> uh, NBA, actually, I think they asked for a loan, uh, a couple billion dollar loan recently yeah. i don't know if it was from the government or something but yeah i mean this is everything is running and it, and it's all churning and it's all you know but once there's a hard stop now nothing is running which just kind of makes it all kind of pop or just kind of deflate and or i, I don't really know it's just like you know frozen hmm. and now things aren't this isn't getting paid it's a complete like i don't know it's crazy this is and unprecedented I'm, and i'm going to tell you one more thing we don't even realize how bad this is because for some reason, the United States has decided that testing people is tough. So whereas we're, we're doing the opposite of what South Korea did, we're making it hard to get tests. My aunt is sitting at her home. She's had a fever for six days. Uh, she doesn't have a cough. Uh, she didn't have any travel to an affected location. But as far as I can tell, she has no other. Oh, and she has joint pains. So she doesn't get fevers. 90% sure she has coronavirus. She's not in critical condition or anything, but she cannot get tested even though she should, in theory, get tested. We have, with nobody getting tested, the coronavirus can can furnish a starting lineup in the NBA that would be an all-star team. Like, they, they, can, they can start the best team in the NBA just with people who are infected with it. <laughs> so think about the number of famous people that have this. Members of Congress got it yesterday. Tom Hanks, Idris Elba, Kyrie, KD, like all these people. You've heard of so many people who have this virus, and there's only 10,000 people. Well, I don't fucking even know right now. 10,000, 11,000 people in the entire U.S. that are infected with it. What are the odds that it happens to be 30 or 40 people that you know the name of? 
No, they're not good. Listen, and they're horrible. Like John Oliver talked so, about this. So one of the only reasons we found out about, I don't remember who it was. Maybe who was one of the first ones, Tom Hanks or one of those guys. We found out because they were in Australia. If they had been in America, they wouldn't have gotten tested yeah. because we weren't testing. Yep. Tom Hanks was in Australia. Yeah. And you know, the, the guy in the NBA who basically was the catalyst for the NBA being shut down, uh, Gobert, he was the epitome of what I think is, is another big problem of this is the American thought of like, this doesn't matter. It's just a flu. He was being, I don't know if you've seen the video, but he was being an asshole making light of the situation. After a press conference, he made a point to mm-hmm. try to be funny and touch every microphone in front of him and then leave the room. And he ended up being infected. So, um, you know, he he was hilariously being a super spreader in this case. We've got people that are out shoulder to shoulder in the water for spring break. They're just uh, there's a lot of reasons that this is worse than it looks. So um, definitely hope we get some clarity soon. The rest of the world, too. Some of these countries in like uh, South America and stuff, they seem to luckily have it kind of under control at the moment. I hope it stays that and let's way. Let's hope Africa also um, weathers you know, the storm because apparently that is like kind of on the verge, and Africa has uh, like has way less of an infrastructure than you know America. Yeah. Or- All the death rates we're seeing is with decent healthcare. Like yeah. say what you want about Italy yeah. and or China, whatever. yeah, like everything they is- have decent healthcare. There's this modern, powerful economies. You you know, yeah, overwhelmed decent healthcare, but decent healthcare at that. And yeah, there's going to be. We went from one person doing this to like two months ago to where we are now. So that's that that you put that into perspective. Maybe a little bit more. Than We're two not months saying ago, for you to panic. We're just saying for you to be ready and prepared. <laughs> you know, no, there there isn't the the panic is probably economic, but it sounds like. It sounds like we're going to be okay, and it sounds like we're going to be in a new era of experimentation on mm-hmm. economic theory. This is completely unprecedented. Nothing like this happened in the Depression or any recessions. Um, in politics. It's going to be interesting to watch, and that's why uh, as many times as I've probably considered not doing this podcast anymore because we don't make any money. This is a giant time sink for us. Um, the... the I would really like to be here when the things that we've said, the things that we've thought may be coming to fruition. I would like to see them play out and I'd like to see them play out with this audience that stuck with us this whole time. I think it'll be interesting. And as a final interesting thing that I'm on the lookout for guys, this is hypothesis and we're getting into the weeds, but just because you mentioned the economic experimentation, I also think that the current setup that we have just as it is right now can have a political realignment that we didn't really see like we could we didn't expect which is a hard economic populism instead of coming from the left coming from the right and the reason i say that is because even though these ideas like universal healthcare basic incomes anything like that is associated with the left and is something that you see somebody like bernie sanders pushing well that that wing of the party just got defeated right you're going to go with an incumbent kind of clinton style obama style democrat and now trump in response to this crisis who was the first person in congress that talked about giving everybody money it was mitt romney that's a Republican mm-hmm. senator right now. So in order to deal with the crisis as best they can, ideology is going to go out the window. And the Republican Party, at least under Trump, in order to increase popularity and to alleviate this, is going to go hard economic left. So it's going to be really interesting seeing the Democratic Party run from the right against a Trump 
possibly running for more of a populist kind of nationalist uh, right wing. So uh, we're not going to just see economic experiments. We're going to see new politics in America over the next year. I don't know how that shapes out, but I'm telling you, this is kind of like new territory. Finally, it's not all bad news. We did have some research from a, a double blind randomized clinical trial of a COVID-19 treatment, not a cure, but they used azithromycin, which is a super cheap antibiotic with a, um, uh, I can't think of the name, but it's a malaria drug, but it's a super cheap anti-malaria drug. Both are ridiculously cheap, ridiculously abundant, easy to produce, easy to get. And together they were able to reduce the spread significantly. So hopefully there's some, some, Easy movement forward on that. We'll be here. We're going to keep being here each week. And um, if you follow me, I'm going to do something fun because I'm going to be locked in the we house. One more story. So, though. Uh, yeah. Oh, we do? I thought we were. Shit. I thought Sorry. we were wrapping up. Hold on. Hold on. All right. Let's do that last. Well, you know what? Story. I'm going to sneak in a last story here because it's actually relevant for crypto. And they're sneaking it in under all this corona pandemic. You may have heard the news, uh, guys, yeah. but there is an act going through Congress right now that is kind of a backdoor attack on encryption. Again, something that they've been trying to take on end-to-end encryption. So what am I talking about? The Earnit Act has been proposed in Congress by a bipartisan group, Lindsey Graham, Republican from South Carolina, and Richard Blumenthal, Democrat from Connecticut. If you know anything about Lindsey Graham, you like he's the bottom of the bottom of the of the rung as far as like morals or anything like that. So don't expect anything good. No, like, <laughs> listen, I know most politicians are shitty, but there's a spectrum of shittiness. This guy is in the Ted Cruz, Donald Trump category, just letting everybody <laughs> know. All right. So here's what the act proposes. It's meant to help tackle child sex trafficking as oftentimes, you know, it's the most egregious crimes uh, where these kinds of uh, stipulations get put in. But the idea is, there's just to give you guys a little history and a little context, there is a Communications Decency Act uh, in the United States. It has a section 230, which apparently gives communications companies, uh, social media companies, protection from liability from what people use the platform for. So for example, if I use Facebook or WhatsApp to send illegal images to Brent, WhatsApp isn't liable or Facebook isn't liable just because I use them as a communication method, right? They have a liability protection. So what this bill wants to do, and it's called the Earn It Act, is it would say that the companies don't get that protection unless they show that they are following guidelines um, to help combat child trafficking. So the bill in in kind of in a vacuum sounds kind of good, right? The idea would be to create a panel that is made up of um, law enforcement officials, uh, online sex exploitation survivors, advocates, constitutional law scholars, cons- consumer protection advocates. And this panel would develop a list of rules or guidelines. Okay, this is how you, the rules that you need in place to help prevent child trafficking. So the Earned Act would say, that companies like WhatsApp, I mean, like Facebook or Instagram, I guess that's the same company, Discord, whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they are, 
they don't have the protection from liability unless they follow the specific guidelines. But think about it, guys. Those guidelines could include not just scanning content for you know videos and photos, which some of these companies already do, right? They have ways to detect, let's say, child pornography and detect, and they let authorities know. But one of those provisions could be something like communication surveillance in order so essentially they can say you need to be able to surveil communication so that when we find a suspect who is being suspicious we can see how they're communicating uh to make sure that they're not grooming let's say uh, uh potential victims so now here's the problem for the company they either have to if they're going to provide end-to-end encryption they would have to accept all liability and not be protected because they're not fault they're not giving uh, a backdoor so that they can be surveilled, or they can create a backdoor to the encryption, which completely erases the point of having encryption. And then why is there even an encryption? Or the yeah, third exactly. solution is to just not provide encryption, right? Not to provide end-to-end encryption because that exposes them to liability from the government. So this is terrible, terrible law. It would, you know, it's one of those things that looks like it's good, but we have to go back to the concept of legal creep. And legal creep is when a law is passed and it's slowly over time used by different law enforcement officials and attorney generals to expand to more and more groups. So, for example, the Patriot Act was meant to deal with Al-Qaeda and terrorism, and it ended up being using it against all kinds of people, activists, political activists, uh, you know, just regular criminals. Same thing with the RICO Act. That was supposed to target the mafia back in the Prohibition Age when things were really bad. The mafia is like running businesses. And nowadays, the RICO Act the part the part of the provision where they can have asset forfeiture, police officers use that all the time against people who haven't even been tried of a crime to take their assets. So right? they kind of it's like this is there for one reason and they kind of go back and like circle back later and realize that this can like lawyers circle back and they're like, oh, wait, but we found this loophole or and this way. That- Kareem, Kareem, this going through here, Congress going through right here is a slippery slope. <laughs> It's a slippery slope. That's what you're talking about. It's a slippery slope. And we can't be part of no slippery slope unless it's presented by me. (laughs) Dude, he's the worst. But yeah, that's exactly it, Adam. And specifically because remember that our legal system takes in the tradition of the British legal system, which is precedent. Precedent establishes what is law. So the moment that one lawyer is able to convince one judge that the Patriot Act should apply to you because you are a economic terrorist or a political terrorist. Maybe you are a, you know, uh, radicalized, whatever. Bitcoin supporter? <laughs> right. You literally can expand. Guys, This the Patriot Act was used against some of these extreme left uh, green activists that were sneaking into farms and recording the factory farming. I'm not taking a position on that. They tried those people as economic terrorists because they were like essentially doing, you know, journal like filming uh, these these factory farmers and exposing them. And I understand why they didn't want that. But to charge them as terrorists, do you think that that was the intent of the Patriot Act uh, when, you know, when it was passed after 9-11? No. And this is the same thing with this. They can say it's about, you know, protecting sexual predator and this and that, but you can't give the government this power. And this is where the, what libertarians get right. I mean, they, we, we just can't trust. And especially this panel. Who selects the panel? 
right? Because here's another problem we have. People that are that are said to be experts are not really experts. So you could have somebody on CNN and say they're a climate, climate expert, when in reality, they just get paid by some think tank to, you know, lie about climate change. So by the same token... What, or you could have Rudy Giuliani as a exactly. cybersecurity So expert. when they say here that they're going to have child survivor advocates... That could be literally anybody. Anybody that has a couple of million dollars can open up a charity to be an advocate for child exploitation. And if you have the political connections, you'll be the guy that gets chosen to be put on the board that gets to determine what the social media companies have to do. Uh, no, no, no. This is bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, we need to do what we can to fight against that. Write your congressperson and uh, get... I don't know if Signal is a U.S. company. Either. So definitely, we know WhatsApp is. I know a lot of people use WhatsApp. I use WhatsApp for a lot of communication also. But Signal is a much better alternative. Hopefully, more and more people will start using Signal. I would use it if anyone that I knew used it. Nobody does. Uh, As as far as I know, their encryption is better. And they are not a U.S. company. So they are not owned by Facebook. Well, um, that's a, enough said. Otherwise, say no more, fam. Did you just say not owned by Facebook? Say no more, fam. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, otherwise, they would be the same. They would be equivalent to to WhatsApp. But uh, I, I could be wrong, though. I, I I just know that the like the 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 subreddits that I subscribe to that are about like privacy tools and how to go self hosted or how to get away from Google and all that stuff. Uh, that Signal is their preferred uh, communication method. So it's up there with like Proton Mail and stuff like that, which I would use if it was anywhere near as useful as Gmail. But you can't use Boomerang. And you can't use Snooze. I so submit to my Overlord together. Google. But I do everything through Google. <laughs> anyway, that is finally the end of a very long well, I wanted, uh, flagship where we yes, talked a lot but about I wanted corona. to go on off topic for two minutes now. Please bear with me. Last night, I happened to watch Rounders. Uh, my roommate had never seen it, and I have not <laughs> I watched it in a decade. And I just wanted to say that it is a fucking phenomenal movie. Yeah, if you like movie. poker, even if you don't like poker, no, it's just good or, movie. Sorry, even if you don't know much about poker, watch the movie, the cast. How did they get those? Like they got Malkovich, they got Matt Damon, Ed Norton, Martin yeah. Landau. And then uh, there were like, you know, Gretchen Mole. And then I forget the last lady's name, but there's, so it's good. like a fantastic cast. Should've oh, John Turturro Mike. also. Should have played those kinks, Mike. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't know, Johnny. I didn't remember. My girlfriend also watched that for the first time like a week ago, and she immediately did a Teddy KGB <laughs> impression, which was the funniest thing I have heard. And that is the content that, that I think I'll be putting out. Uh, JJ, uh, doing it's hilarious because stuff. two yeah. months ago or like three months ago, I watched Rounders with Paula because it was her first time watching it. So like all of us watched Rounders again with someone for the first time. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. So check us out on Patreon. Subscribe. Keep listening. We're going to keep being here. And uh, we will we'll catch you on the flip side uh, next week. And if we have any other episodes to throw in the middle. Wash your hands. Don't we'll touch do your it. face. We are well, not yeah, health advisors. We are not health face. professionals. Do your own health research. And we're also <laughs> not financial advisors, believe it or not. Do your own research on that, too. This is entertainment. Maybe solemn entertainment at times, but it is entertainment. See ya. We'll